Well, good morning again. Man, it's good to see you people out there this morning. And if you're engaging us online, it's great to have you with us. Take your Bible this morning, turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4 and chapter 5. This is going to be an intense message this morning because we're going to be dealing with some things very relevant in our culture right now. And I want to tell you, before we get started, this was not planned by me. So, And you're going to understand why in a moment. Uh, God orchestrated things that's happening globally, and this message just parallels with that. And uh, it's kind of neat how providentially he makes those things happen. And so this morning, we're going to go into a deep dive in some ways, and then I'm going to give you some practical uh, action steps as we move forward. So far, what we've done in this series is we've tried to wrestle with the idea of how do we thrive in a new normal, not just survive. And even before what's happened the last 18, 19 months, life is more about survival than thriving. We get up early in the morning. We get breakfast together. If you have kids, you get them out the door. Then you get to your car. Then you speed to work. Then you sit down at work. And then you work, 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 work. And then you get up. And then you fight traffic to get home. Then you get home. And then you cook dinner. And then you watch Jeopardy. And then you go to bed, right? That's kind of what it is. And that seems to be what we put on repeat day in and day out. And then you retire and you're completely lost. You're like, what do I do now? I don't have to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I don't have to do these things. So you make your way to Dairy Queen and you buy those huge biscuits every week and then you, you develop a, a huge obesity issue and then that leads to bad things, right? All those things happen. So what we're dealing with is how do we just not survive through life, just make it? Because routines put us in that idea of just survival. How do we thrive in it? The church of Thessalonica was a church that was thriving even in the midst of some difficult circumstances. And as the Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he started, and he was a survivor who was actually thriving as well, he gives them several principles to lean on. The first one we learned several weeks ago. In order to thrive, you've got to have a legitimate conversion experience. You've got to know Jesus. You know, we're not meant to just be alone. We're meant to thrive in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you've never come into a, an experience where you've personally asked Christ to come into your life and it's changed you, I invite you to make a decision to have a legitimate conversion. And then he moved into the whole concept of having a commitment and compassion for each other. And what we learned that in spite of Paul's amazing trauma that he experienced, if you remember, he was beaten, he was stripped naked, he was thrown into jail in front of a whole city. But yet he thrived, he moved beyond that. Even though the trauma was very real, he was able through the goodness of God and the body of Christ to come through it. And then last week we dealt with developing character. If you're going to thrive as a Christian now, we have to put things in place to where we're developing our spiritual growth. We're developing that spiritual character that God has infused in you. Now, I want to give you a caveat to this. Starting the second week in September, we're going to be dealing with what they call the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. It's going to be a sermon series entitled Peeled and what it looks like to grow even more specifically and develop those attributes. Now, this morning we're transitioning a little bit and we're going to be dealing with a passage of Scripture starting in verse 13 of chapter 4 that is all about, now get this, end times. Now, this is relevant, agreed? And there's a lot of stuff out there, and they've always been out there. But just think what's happened in the last seven to ten days globally. We have all watched in horror of what's happened in Afghanistan, right? 
We've seen what's happened in Haiti. They were hit with a huge earthquake, and then three or four days later, they're pummeled with a tropical storm, and there are reports of people in these small villages and towns that have no home, they have no infrastructure, and they're just aimlessly walking around. We're about to see what's ha- going to happen in Long Island, and um, all the storms, is gonna, even though it's modern, it's going to be bad in some ways. Hopefully not. We're prayerfully hoping that doesn't happen. But then even in the midst of what's happening in a pandemic, who would have thought 20, year, 20 years ago, 20, 25 months ago, we'd still be dealing with nonsense like this, right? As I made my way even to church this morning, I went by urgent care, and there was literally a line wrapped around the building. It's still happening. It looked like, you know, uh, Black Friday where everybody rushes into Walmart. That's a sign of the time, by the way, right there. When you're willing to beat somebody down for an Elmo doll, just for real, we got some priorities out of whack, right? So what does this mean for us? And then how do we thrive in the midst of stress and chaos? And that's going to really be our theme this morning. It's developing calm and chaos. And we're going to look at two big stressors that the Church of Thessalonica was dealing with because I know, and I know many of your stories in here, and I know know what I deal with personally, life seems to be chaotic in every turn, right? How How do we struggle through that? How do you deal with the stress that you're going to deal with in the morning when you encounter whatever you got to deal with at work? What are you going to, how are you going to deal with the stress when you even get in the car? Some of you, it was stressful just to get here this morning, right? You had kids, and they beat each other all the way here, and then you walk outside. Everything's fine. <laughs> how are we going to deal with that? I'll never forget, I was in middle school, and I uh, got on the bus to go home. And I'm sitting there somewhat minding my own business. If you knew me as a person that with ADHD, there was no such thing as minding my own business. But Michelle, seriously, I was minding my own business at that moment. And two of my peers were sitting in the seat in front of me, and they were talking about the world ending. So I thought I would tune in for a moment, you know. Uh, and, they were, and this girl was so adamant, I'm not sure which day. And I, I'm going to try to do my, my, my rural Georgia accent with this, and this is how I grew up. So I'm going to even go more country, okay. She goes, I'm not sure what day it's going to be. But at some point this week, the world will end. Well, my ears perked up because nobody had alerted me to that issue, you know? And I'm just leaning in. What are you talking about? Yep, it's been told about, prophesied about. And in the next seven days, I'm not sure if it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. You get where I'm going, right? Any of those days, the world is going to end. And my first thought was, Number one, why didn't my parents tell me? And the second thought was, why am I on this stupid bus going to stupid school? You with me on this? It's stool, right, dude? <laughs> why in the world? And even, even after that, because honestly it didn't happen, okay, I wanted to go up to her, but she wasn't so mean and I was scared of her. I went up to her like eight days later. Hey, it didn't happen, you know, that kind of thing. Even, even as, a, as an adult, my wife and I are sitting in this conference with 5,000 other, uh, my wife is a, is a therapist and it was an association of Christian therapy. And so it, it, I am so out of place in a context like that, but I love my wife. So we walk in with 5,000 other therapists and me, I'm like a case study, y'all. You know what I mean? We walk in, and the keynote speaker gets up there, a very popular pastor at the time, and he had written all these books about the end of the world, and I'm sitting here listening to it with all my education. I was pastoring this church at the time, and he goes, I'm not, he said, in the next few weeks, the world is going to end, and my thought was, question in the back, why are you here? You know what I mean? Why am I here? (laughs) So many times we get hung up when we look around the world about when our world's going to end, what it's going to be like, and what does that mean for me? Y'all been there before, right? And let's be real, as Christians and even as people who aren't faithful, 
These are things that enter in my mind. What is Armageddon? We've seen so many movies on that. What is the end of the world going to look like? How is it going to affect me? And man, it kind of makes me scared. Have y'all been there before? Everybody say yes. These are thoughts that have entered your mind. And as you walk, look at what was happening even in the Middle East and across the planet, we're like, time is near. And there's some truth to that. Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew and about how there's signs of the time and you won't be able to um, tell the seasons or, or perhaps you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. And those things are absolutely true. And guess what? They've been like that for generations and generations and generations. And so what we're going to try to nail down this morning is how do we deal with that idea and then how does that translate to day-to-day -day living, okay? Because the reality is the return of Christ is something to be celebrated, to look forward to, and it's something we need to cling to, not fearful of. So how do we enjoy that, and yet at the same time, in the midst of the momentary stresses that we have day in and day out, find a sense of peace and find a sense of calm in the middle of just life? Y'all with me on this? So we're going to dive in this morning, and I want to tell you before we get started, we did a seminar about, I don't know, a year or so ago, maybe less, um, about the end times it's a five session seminar if you are signed up for our text message thread and you should be getting text messages during the week you will be getting a text message at 1230 this afternoon with a link to that seminar all right if you're not on our text message thread I encourage you to, to uh, I think you can subscribe by, by um, dialing 55498 and texting new to RH and I think that will put you on it if not go to the media tab on our website and scroll down until you find end time seminars that makes sense to everybody you're going to get the text. So if you're interested in going deep, because this is not going to answer all your questions, because I know some of you are like, look, Chip, I read these, I read these left behind books when I was little, and I'm like freaking out. All right, and so we're gonna we're gonna debunk some of that. I'm gonna be honest with you. And here's the deal: anytime you talk about end times, there are a lot of thoughts, there are a lot of theories, and there are a lot of ideas. This is a family conversation. What I mean by that, it's kind of like sitting at the dinner table with your family and arguing about who makes the best meatloaf. Okay. We can still agree to disagree and still be followers of Jesus. And some of you may disagree with what I say this morning. That's okay. This is not dogma, all right? And what I mean by dogma, this is not what makes you a Christian. But there's hopefulness in Christ as we look for his expectant return. Now, I say all that to say we're going to skim the surface, give you some truth, and then make some application. Are y'all with me on that? So let's dive in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starting in verse 13 as we read this it's going to be several it's going to be two paragraphs that we read there you're going to notice two stressors or true two moments of chaos that the church of Thessalonica is dealing with starting in verse 13 brothers and sisters stop there all right get three words in and we'll go all right we'll stop brothers and sisters means he's writing this to the body of Christ this is for Christians all right understand that Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, let's just kind of deal with that verse. That's going to set up the next paragraph. He's saying, church, those who follow Jesus, I don't want you to misunderstand about those who have passed away, meaning those who sleep in death. You see that there? Now, some people have a misunderstanding of what that verse means. You may have heard this before. If you grew up in a certain context, you definitely have heard this before. Is that when you pass away, you go into the grave, and you sleep until Jesus comes back. That's not accurate biblically. We're going to show you in just a few moments. They call it soul sleep. And you all heard that before. We're going to deal with that later. 
But I want you to understand here that he doesn't want you to be misinformed because he doesn't want the church to grieve as people who don't know Jesus grieve when somebody passes. Now, as a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. There is a big difference between those who know Jesus and have passed and their family who knows Jesus and know that they're in heaven than those who don't. There's a big difference in that funeral. Huge. Some you leave encouraged and some you leave like in the depths. Now, verse 2, or verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Now, we're going to give a little more detail on that in just a moment. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left with, will be caught up together. Now, that little phrase, caught up together, is only used one time in the entirety of the Bible. And that's where we get the Latin word for rapture. Does that make, you've heard that phrase before, right? It's the only time it's ever used. Now, it's somewhat overused, I will say that, but that's the only time it's ever used. Now, keep reading. With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be the Lord for, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, you're going to see the phrase encourage one another twice. You're going to see why. But stress number one here you see in this section, and it's this. This church had come to know Jesus, and people who had come to know Jesus, family, friends, and the people in the body of Christ, had died. And they were overcome with grief and bereavement. Now, I don't know what their perspective was. Maybe they thought that Jesus was not going to let them die. Maybe they thought that he was going to come back before people had passed away. But the reality is, this is something you and I deal with too, right? It's bereavement and it's grief. It's the frustration of saying those who have passed. It's the grief of knowing that I'm going through some difficult situations. And it's a stress that affects every one of our lives. It doesn't have to be somebody that has died. It could be just looking at the world today. I was grieved yesterday when I saw the Marine pick up the newborn baby and pick him up over the wall and hand him to a friend. That grieves me. You know what I'm saying? But, but taking it to its ultimate contextual truth, here's what I want you to understand. Is that when somebody we love passes or suffers, there is a grief that you and I feel, and it is stressful. And it hangs on us for decades. Agreed? And sometimes we don't ever get over it. That's stressor number one. Now look at stressor number two. Verse, chapter five, verse one. We're covering a lot of acreage today, okay? Now, brothers and sisters, again, this is for the church, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All right, this is good, because I'm sitting on the bus in middle school, and a little girl goes, it's going to happen this week. And if I'd have known my scripture, I'd have been like, no, First Thessalonians chapter 5, so you have no idea. <laughs> and neither do you, and neither do I. And if you ever have a pat, listen, this is for free, and I'm going to go over this morning. If you ever have a pastor stand up and say, it's going to happen next week at 4 o'clock in the afternoon when the moon and the sun collide, listen to me. They Leave that church, okay? Throw that book away. Delete that podcast. They're idiots. That's the best way I can say that. And they're squandering for money, and I'll move on. All right, here we go. 
While people are saying in verse 3, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now let's stop here again. I've never had a baby, obviously, okay? But I've watched a person have a baby twice. And what I've learned about labor pains is, and some of you can relate to this, is it comes and goes. There'll be moments of intensity, it's called contractions, and there'll be moments of, of not intensity. Am I right, ladies? It's something like that. I, I, I don't know for sure, not an expert on that. When we had our first, they rolled us into a room. It was like a jail cell. There was enough for room for a chair and a bed and a contraction monitor. And my wife still has not forgiven me for this because every time I would look at the monitor and there would be a contraction, I'd go, here it comes, baby. What I didn't know was it, it would already pass. And she's like, I know. And it was just... But that's kind of how the end of the world is going to work. It's going to be like labor pains. There are going to be moments of intense suffering and then peace and safety. Make sense? What we're seeing right now are those labor pains. Romans talks about this, about how the whole world moans and groans for the expectant return of Jesus so everything will be all right. Now, let's finish this up. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. Meaning you're not going to be focused on when he's coming back or the signs and the times or the days. So that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Meaning we don't have a reason to fear here. So then let us not be like the ones who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Now, this is a totally different meaning than the sleep you read in chapter 4 about people being dead. This is a sleep meaning people who are unaware or spiritually dead. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, meaning alert, putting on the faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. And this is the key to this entire passage, verse 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake, meaning alive in Christ, or asleep, meaning dead in Christ, we may live together with him in heaven. Therefore, encourage one another you see that phrase again and build each other up just as in fact you are doing now let's tear this apart i want you to understand the first thing about living in calm in the midst of chaos as we deal with stressor number one about death and bereavement is this we have to take the myth out of the message now what does that mean let's go back to chapter four there's several things here going to verse 13 he talks about don't be grieving like the people who don't know Christ. And he says, for we believe, in verse 14, for we believe that Jesus Christ died. Okay, we believe that, right? He died on a cross. And then he says, we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So after three days, he was in the tomb. The stone was rolled away, and he rose from the dead. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. You see that in Acts chapter 1. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Meaning when you die, you rise. Does that make sense? This is, what's the, this is why we baptize people, okay? Because it's representative of what Jesus done and what happens to us spiritually. We are dead in our sin, and just like Jesus went into the tomb, we go under the water, and we come out alive in Christ, and it represents what's going to happen at your death, is that you rise, you are resurrected with Christ spiritually. But here's the caveat here, and here's what we've got to understand here. Read a little further. 
According to the Lord's word in verse 15, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, when you die, when your family member dies who knows Jesus, their body is here, but their spirit is with Christ. Makes sense so far, right? Jesus will come back. That's what we're hopeful for. Because what happens is, he ends the suffering that we're in. And he descends back with those who know Jesus. And simultaneously, what happens is, those who are dead in Christ, their bodies are resurrected, and they're made perfect with their spirit, and you and I are what we call seized or caught up, or you want to use the word raptured, at that moment with Christ, and there's a perfection. This, I want you to picture this like this. I, I love watching, I've told you, I love watching college football, and I'm kind of getting a taste of it now because the NFL's got preseason games, right? But if you've ever watched a football game or any sporting event, if somebody is, they're not sure if they stepped out of bounds or something like that, they can zoom right in to see if their foot stepped out of bounds or not. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So there are 22 players on the field at one time for a football game. And I want you to imagine if you focused on one of those players, but yet 21 players are doing something different. I want you to think through, as you read through Scripture, they're giving you a one-player view at different times and then piecing that together, and it's all happening at once. Make sense? The quarterback might be throwing, the receiver might be running, and the lineman may be blocking, the linebacker may be blitzing, and the defensive back may be running backward, and then the coach is coaching. You only can focus on one thing at a time. And what I want you to focus on right now is what he's saying here is this, and I'm not going to give all these details because it's really too much for one message, is he's making sure that we understand is that when people pass and they know Jesus, they're with Jesus, they're coming back to, with Jesus, their bodies are going to be resurrected, they're going to be made perfect, you're going to be raptured and brought with Jesus at that same time, and this is all going to be happening at once, you're going to be perfected, and the reunion will be sweet. That's it. That's a beautiful moment. It's nothing to be afraid of. And the hopefulness that we have is that we have to take the myths out of the message. What do you mean by myths? Because there's a lot of nonsense that we run around in our minds that we've heard is folklore, is biblical inaccuracy, is people that have peddled false information to make a dime or they misunderstood it whatsoever. Let me give you a couple examples of it. I've had eight or nine COVID tests which means my brain is well scratched, okay? And I'll never forget it. I think I was sitting in one of them, and I was talking to a lady, and it was back in December, and, uh, you know, we always ask people, what do you think about that vaccine? You know, that seems to be the topic today, right? And I'll never forget the nurse looked at me, and she goes, I'm not getting it. Oh, please tell me why, because this is going to be good, how she said it. Now, there's a lot of different reasons why people don't get it. That's fine. I don't get it. This one's good. It's the mark of the beast, and they're putting it in your body. I need a new nurse. Uh, <laughs> what I mean by that, that's a myth. We're looking for people to inject us or give us something, and, and this is not about a vaccine or not vaccine issue, but these are myths that we tend to balance. We're looking for people to put inside of us that we're going to have a mark of a beast because we do. Look, somebody, if you know Jesus, you know Jesus. You're not marked by the beast, Period. So important for us to understand that. Other myths that we deal with. It's the imagery of that when we read things in different parts of Scripture, and this has been popularized in our current culture, that they use metaphors and things, and they say, well, that represents army tanks or airplanes or different things. Like, Listen to me. We don't know. We don't know. And I wouldn't worry about knowing. I'd worry about following Jesus. You follow me on this? 
We don't know, and nobody does. I can, I've been, I, listen, I, I have been in some kind of Bible college context for about 12 years of my life, and I have pastored churches and worked in churches for 25. Can I tell you my expert opinion? I don't know. But the thing is, what I do know is that Jesus is going to return. And the dead in Christ will come with him. And if you know Jesus, you will be with him. And we have to take myths out of the message that he gives us. There's more to the story here. And I really want you to understand what happens next. We have to replace guesswork with grace. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, the guesswork is this. Go to chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for we know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. These people are guessing all over the place. That's not the thing. We have to focus on grace. And what I mean by that is that you and I don't deserve to do know Jesus. We haven't earned our knowledge of Jesus. We, haven't, we, don't, we don't even desire his goodness at times. But we get his love. We get our salvation. We get to have right standing. And we get to be with him because we ask him to come in our lives. Make sense? Take guesswork. Throw it out the window. I don't know. You don't know. Enjoy your life. Focus on the Lord. And relish in that. Take the guesswork and focus on grace because here's wrong thinking trying to figure out dates and times here's right thinking be expectant and excited listen I'm gonna be real as I've grown in my faith and I've matured hopefully I'm more looking forward to the return of Jesus than I ever have been I, I am and, and I want you to understand something for a long time I wasn't because I feel like I'm going to miss out on what this world can offer. But what I've come to realize, what this world offers is dung compared to the glory of the Lord and what I get to experience in heaven. I don't have to suffer anymore. I don't have to fight these fights anymore. I don't have to worry anymore. I don't have to go by the urgent care and see a line wrapped around it. I don't have to watch babies be lifted over the walls in Afghanistan. I don't have to see Haitians walk around in gluelessness because everything they have has been destroyed. I don't have to worry about if my cholesterol is too high. I have to rest in the Lord. I can't wait. And I want you there with me. And that's why we adamantly preach the gospel. That's why you preach it to your kids. You show it to them. If anything, has to know Jesus right there. As we take the guesswork and we focus on grace, but, but here's the deal. When we think through all this and we hear these things and we see these things happening on, my pl on our planet or we go through moments of grief, somebody passes, stressor number one, we look at judgment and we're afraid that God is going to judge us for what we've done, we get really nervous about that. And when we see things, and like if you read the book of Revelation, you're like, this scares me to death. Have y'all been that way or is it just me? And it's still stressful. Or perhaps you've gone through a difficult experience before. And you ever thought that God is paying you back for your own sins? Yeah, right? Or maybe you've, you've got a kid in your life, maybe your child or someone you love, and they've gone through something difficult, and you ask yourself, Lord, what have I done for them to do, experience that? Have y'all ever had that thought? We all have, right? We're asking, Lord, God, why? What have I done? I've prayed before, Lord, just give me a reprieve for a while. 
whether it be a diagnosis of cancer, whether it be an Afghanistan collapse, whether it be a Haitian earthquake, or whether it be a pandemic or a personal problem that you struggle with day in and day out, I want, you, I want, I want you to take a really simple application step. Verse 9 would be something you should memorize. And when you go through something difficult, notice what it says here. I love this. Chapter 5, chapter five verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wrath is not the same thing as difficult times. It's not the same thing as labor pains. Y'all feel me on this? This, this is tribulation that we go through. In, in, I, I'm going to share this with you. There's some people that are expect a great tribulation, and I struggle with that. You've heard that before, right? I struggle with that because what are you going to tell someone in North Korea who lives in a dingy, dingy place and is pushed down in so many ways, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally? You're going to tell them, hey, this is going to get worse. You get what I'm saying? What are you going to tell that Haitian refugee who's walking around and his whole family's dead? And he's lost his home. Everybody in his village is gone. You're going to go tell him, hey, this is going to get a lot worse. We're dealing with it now. Those are those labor pains. But here's the deal. As you go through your grief, momentary or long-term, as you go through fear, stress, momentary or long-term, Verse 9 is a beautiful beacon of hope for us. God did not appoint you to suffer wrath, which means God's wrath. Christ suffered it for you. And so when you go to the doctor and they say you have cancer, God did not appoint you to suffer wrath. As you walk through the different, just the different uh, problems that you're going to be struggling with in life, and as we watch the 24-hour news cycle, God did not appoint you to suffer wrath. As you're standing over the coffin of a loved one, God did not appoint you to suffer wrath. As you continue to deal with that depression and anxiety, God did not appoint you to suffer wrath. Hear me on this. Why? He appointed you to receive salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, exclamation point, he died for us so that whether we are dead or alive or dead we may live together with who with him that's the beauty of the gospel so with that in mind as you deal with this chaos you can thrive because verse 9 and verse 10 are the salve of calmness that is applied to us through the person of Jesus with that in mind, let me give you a couple of applications. First thing, and guys, I'm gonna be I'm gonna go ahead and apologize. We we did not exhaust this passage, okay? We may come back to it in a year or two and deal with it again because I'm sure you're like, I got so many more questions. <laughs> That's why we're texting out that seminar today. <laughs> but here's the deal. A couple of really important and really important application steps. Be thoughtful, not fearful. Be thoughtful, not fearful. Well, what does that mean? Go back to chapter 5. Notice what it says here. Verse 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, which means alert. 
Don't don't let your fear control you. Be thoughtful. Don't check your brain at the door with your faith. Be thoughtful. Think through what's happening here. Read Read your Bible. Second thing is this. Own your identity. Own your identity. What does that mean? You are a child of God if you know Jesus. And notice what it says here. I love this. Verse, verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Let it protect you. In the hope of salvation, let it stop your mind games as a helmet. Own your identity. You are a child of the king. Therefore, 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 verse 9, you have not been appointed for wrath, but to live forever with Jesus. Last one, last one here. It says this several times. It says it in verse 12. I mean, I'm sorry. It says it in verse 16. Therefore, encourage one another. 18, <laughs> chapter 4. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then verse 11, chapter 5. Therefore, encourage one another. What's the, what's the point? Encourage one another. And as you see these things happening and it's fearful, encourage your spouse, encourage your kids, encourage your small group, encourage your coworkers. Is that this will not be forever. When I was a kid, I dealt with a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of different reasons. And my biggest fear was that my parents were never going to pick me up. And there was probably some, probably some truth to that. They probably like, man, he drives us nuts. Let's just leave him, you know. And I guess I knew that subconsciously. And I was like, they just, they're done, you know. And so, you know, you go to school, you get dropped off, and you got to be there, and you're there all day long, and the different stresses of school, you know, uh, whatever stress that may have been for me. But the biggest stress would always come when I was going to be picked up by my parents if they were going to pick me up that day because I'd be standing there, and you know what I'm talking about, over the overhang with all the other people, and they're crowded out, and the car comes by. And for a parent, it's the most stressful time of your life. It's like you got to get gangster when you go pick up your kids at school, right? But man, my, you know, I'm standing there, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, and there was a curve in the car router line, and I'm like, okay, they're going to come, they're going to come, I hope they come, oh my God, I hope they come, oh Lord, please let them come, oh, and finally I see their car, and they're there. And I think that's much like my faith, It's the stress of knowing I'm here, is he coming back? I'm expecting it, I'm hopeful, and one day we'll see him. And the peace that transcends all understanding will overwhelm you. This morning, I pray that you know Jesus. I pray that you've had a legitimate conversion. If you haven't, on the Connect card you were given, there's a box that says, Today I want to know Christ. I want to encourage you to check that box and turn it into that box. Um, check that box and turn it into the offering box as you exit. Or maybe you want to text in the phrase, I need Jesus to 55498. And that's going to send a link. You fill it out, and that comes directly to me. I want to have a conversation with you about that. But I also want to encourage you to grow in your faith. I want to give you this Bible plan to read this week called uh, The Hope on Bible.com or on your Bible app. Just look for it. You can take a picture of it now, but on Bible.com, The Hope or the Bible app on your phone. And finally, I want to encourage you to be in a life group. That's what that phrase is, encourage one another. Jump in one of those. Get involved in it. You can text in RH Life Group to 55498. You can sign up in the foyer. You can sign up on your Connect card. But let's take those steps and know that our king is coming and therefore verse 9 God did not appoint you for wrath we will suffer but you won't experience wrath if you know Jesus let's pray Father we are so grateful for that we are so grateful for that truth that as we deal with some 
very, very difficult things in life, that we know that you've got this and that you did not appoint us to suffer, but Lord, as we go through the labor pains of life, that you are moving and that you're changing and that you are working in a way that we don't even understand and can't see. And so, God, let us be confident in that. Let us be alert. Let us be thoughtful and chase away the fears that we have. And so, Christ, as we, as we wrestle, as we think through, and as maybe even disagree with some of this, I pray, Lord, more than anything else, that the hope and the purpose and the person of Jesus Christ would overwhelm us to a place of just complete certainty in a position of thriving. And so God, in these moments, changes. Your goodness lasts forever. And when we think about bereavement, when we think about life, when we think about judgment, Lord, your promise is that we won't suffer that wrath. How good is that? And so we proclaim, we exclaim the goodness of God. He has run after us and one day is returning to set all things right. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.